This call is being recorded. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends, your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB, the Lockdown Brown Podcast, brought to you by the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, we appreciate everybody who makes Lockdown Browns their first listen, day in, day out, whatever podcast platform you use. Make sure you are following, subscribe, the Lockdown Browns Podcast, five-star ratings, written reviews, please, and thank you, uh, Friday. Closing into the weekend here, uh, we're going to get to our tight end positional review, uh, see where it was in 2021, see maybe where it's going to be headed in 2022. We are going to look back, not even a year, but the 2021 Andrew Berry NFL draft class, see where they are, where they are headed into 2022. Give some thoughts and predictions here on this week's playoff games four games as we get closer and closer to championship weekend. And of course, Super Bowl Sunday, your host, Jeff Lloyd at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd, the show itself, Lockdown Browns along for the ride from Sports Illustrated, Mr. Pete Smith at underscore Pete Smith underscore. And uh, no, there is no truth to the rumor that like a bat out of hell will be gone when the morning comes. Um, Just a quick thing. Um, I had a communications professor in college John Morano. John Morano was a fantastic guy, full of stories. I forget the the magazine, Rock Beat, like one of those things back in the 80s. He was all, tells us the story, he's all excited. He's getting 60 minutes, sit down with it. Meatloaf gets to do a great interview. He's all charged up. At the time, it was going to be the biggest interview he ever did. And a lot of musicians, stars of that era, they had flaws, things that you know they shouldn't have been doing. So uh, young John Morano walks in, all excited, got a list of questions, wants to talk about Bad Out of Hell, one of the, you know, well, one of the biggest iconic albums of all time. And he gets a not so good, and that's a great shape that day, Meatloaf, who proceeds to talk for 60 minutes about his charity softball team and how he has a problem where his second baseman should actually be the shortstop, but the shortstop has too big of a head and he doesn't want to play second base and ends up with a two paragraph story on when he gets to sit down. Something I remember, um, you know, just fond name, obviously and meatloaf, um, huge, huge figure in rock and roll. Um, sadly passed at the age of 74. But that being said, we've got business to do here. Um, I was actually talking with Pete a little bit about this last night. And, you know, I, I'm not exactly how this is going to work because um, for look for two seasons now, the Browns have had a lot invested financially. And as far as, you know, draft capital, you know what, you know, they did not draft David Njoku, but a former first round pick making good money, spent a lot of money on Austin Hooper to this point. Um, if you're looking at it, the dollars and cents approach and the return on the investment hasn't panned out. Harrison Bryant, I, I think for everything to this point, I think Harrison Bryant has proved um, to be, you know, solid for what the investment was in him. Um, it's decision time now on David Njoku. Are they going to, you know, re-sign him? You know, you have a lot of money invested in Austin Hooper. But, but Pete, we've talked about this at times for what's been invested and how heavily the Browns invested into this tight end room for the first two seasons under the Barry Stefanski regime. It has certainly not lived up to the expectations. No. Uh you know, he, he, Austin Hooper is a 
good enough blocker uh, who is a guy who has to get space to sort of operate. And the Browns haven't been able to to provide it. And given what he's sort of expected to do, um, that's really not enough. And that's sort of the same problem they have at wide receiver. The guys who just don't create on their own, uh, but are being paid like they should. Uh, in Hooper's case, um, uh, to me, the seven yards per target this year, which is where Nick Chubb is, is the Mendoza line. Austin Hooper's at 5.7. He's was the worst on the team. Like, it's awful. And he led the team in drops by more than double anyone else. Um, so, you know, at, at times like the, 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 the second Steelers game, I mean, it just looked awkward and uncomfortable watching him struggle. Uh, I mean, it, it's a shame because, you know, just like uh, a guy like Jarvis Landry, he's, he's a good guy. He's a great presence in the locker room. Like he and David and Joker are best buddies and his charity work is a, uh, great and important to him his 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 specifically focuses on uh foster care and and trying to help kids that are aging out of the system um all of these things make him a wonderful human being but don't make him worth what they're paying him the trick here is that if you cut him or trade to i I think it would be a trade um i i think if you take away that signing bonus which the browns would have to eat um, he's definitely tradable, but, um, the problem is, and even if you designate him as a June first, uh, move, uh, you're going to have to eat, uh, three point, I think it's 3.75 or 3.25, whatever the bonus is for one year, you'd have to eat that, uh, in one year. And then it would be the rest, the 6.75 or whatever the hell it is, uh, number that's going to add up to 11.25 million uh, dollars overall. Um, it, however you move him, you're going to have to eat that money. It's just a question of then accounting what year are you eating some of it uh, as opposed to other years. And maybe the Browns are okay with that. But here's the the thing of it is, the, this would be the first time this uh, regime has done that with a bunch of guaranteed money. Um, you know, I, I thought they might, might move off of Landry, but uh, – let pre it, it, the previous year, uh, but they didn't seem willing to sort of eat that money. So that's sort of the the question for them: Is it worth it to to get nine point five million dollars back in cap space to have to then eat eleven million? I don't know if they're willing to do it, but I completely understand why they would. And this is where it gets tricky, though, Pete, because with you know what they essentially haven't done. And for everyone, you know, you, myself, and most everybody included feeling that this team is going to have to he- invest heavily in wide receivers. And for this offense to take the next step, this all offense is going to have to maybe be more passing wise, you know, wide receiver, you know, strong tilted wide receiver wise. So you have the decision here with David Njoku you know, no longer under contract, it's contract extension in time, you know, so it's resign or move on from David Njoku. This is where it makes it really difficult because I, I, I can't seem to find anybody that would say if it was a straight decision of, you know, do you want Njoku or do you want Austin Hooper 
where anybody's going to choose Austin Hooper. Obviously, with the contract, there are mitigating circumstances. But you're kind of faced with a decision here where, you know, even if you're going to run it back, and for two years, it's not truly been what you were hoping it would be. Now you're talking about maybe putting another $9, $10 million in salary. Well, I mean, you know, maybe five, six, when you count what David Njoku, you know, made this year. Obviously, Austin Hooper on the rookie contract gets a bump slightly each year. But now it's a question of even to run it back, this room is going to be essentially almost twice as expensive as it was. Yes, uh, theoretically. The thing of that is if the Browns uh, sign Njoku on like a franchise-type deal, it's like $11 million. But if they do like an extension, they can easily do what they've done on basically every other contract, which is sort of escalated as it goes to sort of follow the cap. So the Browns could theoretically pay him like $6 million or $7 million that first year to sort of help with that uh, potential issue. The other thing of it is like uh, you look at teams like the Patriots, they're going to be paying something like $28 million for their tight ends this coming year. So it's not like unheard of, but the problem is obviously production. What what are you getting? What was the return on that? Um, as I said, it, it's, it's, pro- it's easy if the money isn't clunky, but the fact that the money is clunky might, make this a little more challenging. I I think Harrison Bryant needs to get the ball more. He's the most reliable pass catching option right now on this, in this group. Uh, David Njoku certainly has the most ability of anyone in this group. Um, The, the challenge, the other challenge of that is tight ends are not easy to sort of go get, Um, you know, drafting one sounds like a great idea, but they don't tend to play very well as rookies. So for a team that has used, has used a lot of them, um, maybe it's enough that they'll get, they could get a guy like Steven Carlson back, but if they want a veteran, um, you know, at the very least Hooper is that can block and do those physical things. Um, it would be a reduced role, which won't look very good uh, in terms of like, where the money is on the field and all that, but that may be their best play um, to do that. Like some of these teams are, are stop have stopped drafting tight ends and just sort of wait to go get them um, when other teams sort of move off of theirs. Uh, so that, that would be another option. But um, if they do draft one, it's a good class. Um, there are certainly a number of interesting options that can do any number of things uh, in terms of skill set. But again, a lot of that would depend on how they feel about Steven Carlson. If they feel good about him, he could do a lot for this team. Now he's coming off a, a, a significant knee injury, although it's never really been clear what he actually did. Um, but you know, he's a veteran that could potentially fill in that gap. So if the Browns do want to move out from Hooper and they do trade him or whatever, then maybe that's your your trio, and then you draft that guy to sort of start working in until he can eventually fill in. But if you're telling asking me, can the Browns make it work with Hooper, Njoku, and uh, Bryant financially, they absolutely can. It's entirely a question of if they want to. And, and there are a couple things here. Look, if they end up going, you know, to – wide receivers through the draft. Obviously that's not going to cost you a ton. We don't know obviously whether or not they have their eyes on maybe, you know, taking some free agent money, putting it towards 
the wide receiver position. And I'm totally with you. Yes, it is a really, really good tight end class. And where the stance is that, you know, tight ends take a little while. I think it's, it, it, it actually behooves the Browns here because he's coming in to be tight end three or to be what Harrison Bryant was as a rookie. So it, it's a really, really good and, you know, enviable position to be in if they're looking to, you know, go a tight end in the draft because there won't be a ton of pressure and you can kind of put him in situations where you're just asking him at this point, you know, to just put him in positions to where, you know, you're asking said rookie tight end to do what they do best as a third tight end. So it's interesting. Um, me personally, I, 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 I'd hate to think that we're talking over $20 million invested in a tight end room that a hasn't, you know, produced like we were hoping it to B you for the overall team success. You probably don't want it to be featured nearly as much as it's been the last two years. So certainly a very, very interesting situation. I know everybody wants to talk about, you know, defensive and defensive tackle in those positions. And obviously the holes that are there right now on this team's roster, but you know, there are other ones, wide receiver, certainly, and tight end, you know, I'm not saying it's the most important decision and experiment that the Browns have to work through this offseason, but it's up there. And there's certainly, you know, a lot of angles and avenues to it as far as this team's success going further, what they truly need to get better, and where that room currently sits. Uh, So there is your 2020 Cleveland Browns tight end positional review we're going to get to the 21 draft class here for andrew barry see how it went for the rookies see where the dependence on these players will be in 2022 appreciate everybody makes lockdown browns their first listen got a little more coming up just a sec it's the new year so that means new year's resolutions if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier Make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, you want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Good news is Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Bilt Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, in the office, the car, wherever. Throw out all of that sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Bilt Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Bilt Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. There are so many flavors to choose from. Coconut, almond, peanut butter, brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, and mint brownie. Many, many others as well. In fact, Bilt is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out Bilt.com often to see what's new. Go to Bilt.com. Use promo code LOCKED15. And you'll get 15% off your order. Again, lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. So we are going to dig in to the 2021 Cleveland Browns draft class. And I think the returns were very, very positive as far as the top end. Certainly some players from this class missed time for others. 
not enough to go off just yet. And a couple of players where we don't truly know anything just yet. But Greg Newsom first overall. Jeremiah, I mean, well, first overall in the first round. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa traded up. Certainly, you know, glowing, glowing review for Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Anthony Schwartz, a lot of missed time. Um, and early in the year, couldn't necessarily, you know, wasn't in flow with the offense, I think, like they were hoping him to tackle James Hudson. Defensive tackle, Tony Togiai, Tony Fields. Not much from Tony Fields this season, obviously. Richard LeCount, obviously not much from him. We'll see how year two plays out for those two guys. And Demetri Felton. There were times where Demetri Felton looked like he could be a every week participant, contributor for this team. And there were times where, you know, no involvement. And certainly the special teams aspect didn't go off like it wanted to. But Pete, the 2021 20, draft class for Mr. Andrew Barry. Uh, it's impressive. Uh, it's it's the, the early returns are, are, are definitely promising. Uh, Greg Newsom looks very good. Uh, you know, the thing you have to sort of stipulate is that this corner class has been phenomenal this year. Uh, from there, there, you, you know, from, from, uh, you know, the, the top and the Broncos getting, getting their dues out, outstanding down to Nate Hobbs in the seventh round uh, from, from the, the Raiders. They're just, everybody's playing well. But for what the Browns want to do, Greg Newsom does everything at some level of pretty good. There's nothing where you sit there and go, he cannot do this. Um, so the the hope you're, you you see with Greg Newsom is uh, that he just grows in those those elements uh, and and continues to be a good player. He's a guy who can cover. He can tackle. Um, he he's got good length. Uh, can play the ball in the air. Uh, has, you know, the one thing he doesn't do, uh, is really cause turnovers. It's just not what his type of game though. I think the better he gets in terms of getting into the, you know, into the right position where you can then go look for the ball, um, that will probably allow him to, to create more turnovers, but he's been pretty, pretty fantastic. JOK, um, it, it, when, when they drafted him, you know, it seemed like he was going to be a guy where, oh, they're going to blitz him a ton and he'll figure it out as he goes. And it was the opposite. He did everything else pretty well and didn't really blitz all that all that much because they needed him to do everything else. Um, you know, he's not a guy who can take on blocks well, so he just is faster than everybody and gets to the spot before they do. So when he when you can't get blockers on him, he's pretty dominant, explosive to the ball, was a better tackler as a rookie in the NFL than he was in his last year of college, uh, did some nice things in coverage, still has all kinds of room to grow, but sees the game at, at an impressive level already. So, you know, he has star potential, whether that's ever going to be an all pro, I don't know, but he certainly has the potential to end up in multiple pro bowls as does. Uh, well, I, we'll see about Newsom. It, it, you know, that's, it's tough for him if if he doesn't put up like stats uh, in the way that you know Trevon Diggs got eleven interceptions or whatever it was, but you know gives up a ton of yards. Sold his what, soul for those eleven. Yeah, interceptions. I mean, it's, it's, what, what's 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 the you know where's where's that sort of mesh point? And you know if if Trevon Diggs is doing that and gets you know five interceptions, but he's getting crushed, is he going to be looked at as good? We'll, we'll see. Um, 
Anthony Schwartz was never intended to be a big uh, contributor in year one. It seemed like he was going to be sort of a jet player and a guy who would occasionally go downfield. Uh, and then he missed all of training camp, you know, and and most of the pre every every week of the preseason except for the fourth game, with hamstring injury injuries and everything else. So he got basically no development. Um, he goes into the the first game of the season, gets you know a, three catches for sixty nine yards, which was unbelievable at the point at that point in time. So it felt like oh maybe they can get something more out of him. Uh, he touched the ball 13 more times all season. Um, the concussion, missing five weeks, still I think the worst hit of the season in the league. Um, certainly did not help. Uh, so, but the the if there's an upside with Schwartz is that when he's on the field, um, defenses had to cover the Browns differently. Uh, it's sad that a third round rookie made that much of a difference. Um, that that no one else could sort of do it, but it does speak to what he can do. So um, basically a complete nothing his first year uh, in terms of impact. Hopefully he gets some got something out of it, but it, it's, a, it's a big offseason for him to sort of start learning how to actually play wide receiver after not learning anything, well, not learning too much from last year and then learn, clearly learning nothing at Auburn. Um, fourth round. I love what to- Tommy Togiai can be. He's nowhere near there yet. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to be a 2020, uh, 22-year-old defensive tackle in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it, the, the fourth round as a whole was not intended to play this year. Uh, the fact that they played so much helps to explain why the Browns underachieved. These guys weren't supposed to play, and they both had to. Uh, Togiai has... To me, a fantastic skill set to be a top-of-the-line defensive tackle. I've said, and I have no reason to stop thinking that he can't be the best pick of this class in terms of impact. Um, even though he struggled, I I can't help but notice that he chases every play in pursuit. Uh, he doesn't seem to get caught up in pouting or being frustrated or anything else. He just keeps doing his job. So I'm hoping as he develops the technical side, he's going to be, start to become the player they hope he can be in, in year three. Uh, but he's got to get through year two first. Um, James, James Hudson couldn't play dead to start uh, in preseason against guys who weren't going to play, be in the NFL struggled. Improved and people can point to the Pittsburgh game and say struggled. I put almost all of that on Baker Mayfield. James Hudson did what he was supposed to do. It does not mean he did it well. It just means he did what he was asked to do. Uh, and he played it well in other games that uh, he had to come out and play. Uh, and then obviously the last game of the season, people are going to sort of discount a little bit because of the competition against the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals. I go the other way. Um, one, for a guy who couldn't play at all to start um, and they were hiding him on the roster early to dominating that last game of the season and having just come off of getting beat so badly, at least from a perception standpoint uh, for, by TJ Watt, uh, I think that was important for him. I, I, I think that's mm-hmm. great for his attitude, great for his mentality, says a lot about his mental toughness and willing to sort of work through uh, and 
even though they were largely backups, they were still better than the guys who were absolutely dusting him early in the year. So for James Hudson, I see a lot of growth um, at the very least. I think he's a, he's a, he's a, a conversation in terms of if the Browns go into next year and there's an injury or something along those lines, I think he can step in and play effectively. I think he does have the ability to eventually be the starting rate tackle. It always seemed to line up that James Hudson's kind uh, his, uh, James Hudson was sort of his schedule sort of lined with where Jack Conklin's contract ended. That may change by virtue of the fact that Jack Conklin's knee is in question, but uh, I think you, you'd rather wait another year with Jordan Elliott, just like you you, you want to potentially wait one more year with Nick Harris. Uh, who am I missing? Oh, uh, Tony Fields. I think Tony Fields was on the field for like, a couple of special team snaps and was never on the field for your defensive snap. Um, that's fine. I get, not unlike the guys who were picked in round four, Tony Fields was never supposed to be on the field this year, um, except for special teams. Uh, he broke his foot or whatever he did to his foot early. Um, certainly hurt him in terms of being able to sort of get ready for the season. Uh, but he's another one of those undersized tweener linebacker guys who you hope can be a factor. I mean, if you're looking at him um, in terms of what you hope he can be, you're hoping he can sort of be that next Malcolm Smith type where he can do some things in the passing game. He's probably never going to be a great run defender, but he can blitz and do some other things like that. Um, If that's where we can find uh, an impact with him in year two, that would be good. Uh, Obviously special teams sort of, you know, started off really well. And, and overall, I think their coverage units did okay. But uh, it's certainly an area that needs to get better um, next year for for the Browns to be more successful. Um, you know, and LeCount, obviously, you know. Oh, yeah, he's here for Richard LeCount. No, <laughs> Richard LeCount has to grow up. I mean, that's – he's had issues with um, – team meetings and some other things uh he got suspended and this maybe point. all stems and maybe you should have also known this you know with the the stupid dirt bike accident that he got into which you know hampered his whole draft process to begin with yeah i mean LeCount, yeah that which is it's in it's difficult to explain the the uh driving a a dirt bike with no lights or anything or whatever it was on halloween night uh and getting just destroyed by you know basically hit by two cars um you know so there's talent there they didn't invest a whole lot maybe maybe he can figure it out and turn it around um but but i don't think the browns can go into next year sort of expecting him to sort of really big be a major contributor or even you know it's debatable if they can even sort of count on him to be a backup but i mean that's sort of the um that's sort of the, the the thing of it. You're in the pros. It's, it, you know, hopefully he figures it out. And then Demetri Felton, Pete. Oh, Demetri Felton, a um, little disappointed in terms of how good he looked as a punt returner early in the year. Um, it really felt like we were just waiting for him to break, a, break one for a touchdown, and then it just sort mm-hmm. of fell apart for him uh, for whatever reason, if it's confidence or whatever. And then by the end of the year, Donovan Peoples-Jones is returning punts. Um, offensively, 
you, you know, I like him more as a receiver than a running back, but there's nothing wrong with potentially having a, a wide receiver who can line up in the backfield. If he can give you a little bit of blocking, that's great. If he can give you a little bit of a run threat, that's great. But it's plays like the one against the Bengals where he gets a slip, you know, a quick smoke screen and he could create after the catch. It's the same type of touchdown he scored against the Houston Texans. Um, he's got juice to his game. Um, you know, there's there's a little bit of Eric Metcalf in there somewhere. Um, you know, I'm hoping with more development that he can become a more consistent part of special teams. I mean, th- that part of it is is disappointing if you remember the fact that Mike Prefer was like, pounding the table for this kid on special teams and then, you know, became less of a factor on special teams. So clearly needs to get better on that end. And hopefully he can continue to be a nice little addition to the offense. It like, if you're trying to compare him to something like uh, maybe an Isaac McKenzie for the Buffalo bills, who's like their fifth guy. Um, They have all those receivers and tight end. And then there's this cat, cat who's pretty fast and and occasionally makes some big plays so um maybe he can be sort of like that but i i think the returns on him offensively are interesting it's curious to see if he can continue to develop so your 21 class draft class you know newsom jok uh look like they're actually going to be you know solid contributors for this defense for a long time greg newsom is part of the reason this cornerback room took the step up that they did in 2021. Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, there's just no way around it. He is absolutely – he was all that and more and probably even more than the Browns hoped he could be. The intelligence, the speed, the, uh, the the tackling ability. And, look, there were times where, you know, things got overrun and things were missed and pretty common for rookie linebackers. But all in all, he improved upon you – know, what were some of his flaws at Notre Dame? You know, Schwartz looks like he can, you know, have a role – does it grow? We'll see how that goes. You have some blocks in Hudson and Togiai. Fields, LeCount. Um, it's going to be a question, you know, because there will be competition brought in for both of them. Um, you know, can they, you know, get better and, you know, climb? And for Dimitri Felton, there's a role here to be had. Um, you know, part of it, you know, I mean, you look at it, sixth-round rookie. Um, you know, there were times where he contributed. Um, you don't usually expect somebody drafted in the sixth round to be a contributor all season long as a rookie. Um, but you hope you can take some of the positives for Dimitri Felton in 2021 and raise that bar for 2022. You have some thoughts here on the weekend action as we get to four games this weekend, as we try to get down to <coughs> championship AFC, NFC. Uh, you have some thoughts here on those games. Just one second. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. To sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, just use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, no space, to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. We'll take them here in order. And Cincinnati Bengals traveling to Tennessee to face the Titans. 
Tennessee getting back Derrick Henry. But thing, one thing that for me is kind of interesting here, Pete, getting back Derrick Henry could be fantastic for the Tennessee Titans. <clears throat> but Cincinnati is very capable of a team offensively that plays Tennessee that can play at a style and a pace where maybe you could make Derrick Henry not a large part of the equation for Tennessee. Yeah, I, I, I'm going the other, entirely the other way. The Cincinnati Bengals defense, whether you were watching this past weekend against the Raiders or you true, watched them true. against the Browns uh, in week nine, I think it was, when the Browns beat them 41 <laughs> to 16, they can't get aligned right. And it happens all the time where they're misaligned. And I think Tennessee is going to feast on that. They are going to try continue to tweak their formations and create little differences. And if the Bengals can't get lined up right, they're not a good run defense anyway. But if they also misalign consistently, then the Titans are just going to absolutely run them over. And that was the issue uh, that stood out when Nick Chubb ran all over them uh, in week nine. That was an issue that stood out against the Raiders where the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, who, you know, I've never been a big fan of, but looked great in that game. Like they do so much stupid stuff on defense that they, they create so many problems for themselves, which is ultimately as much as Joe Burrow is phenomenal. And those receivers are phenomenal. I'm taking Tennessee and it's, largely because they're a better coach team. They have one of the best coaches uh, going right now in Mike, Mike Vrabel, who seems to thrive on the details. And the Bengals are a team that just doesn't do the details well. I, all right. Well, let's see. In order for me to catch up here, I'm going to have to find a pick here. As I What, are, what, what are the standings right now? I Well, you, we had five of six the same. And so I know I lost the New England Patriots, and we actually both lost on the yeah, Dallas San Cowboys. Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, so I'm actually going to go with the Bengals here. I I just think if Cincinnati can get started early, it takes Derrick Henry out of the game. Look, I'm not slamming Tennessee's defense here by any means whatsoever. They're a rock solid group, and it's going to take a strong, strong effort from the Bengals' defensive line. But the Bengals can score points, and if the Bengals can get into it spot where you know this is a game where a lot of points are being scored early um maybe you kind of ease Derrick Henry out of the equation which covers up the biggest wart for the Cincinnati Bengals defense I don't know I just you know for Cincinnati right now and Browns fans I know you don't want to hear it it just seems like uh offensively that's a really really tough unit to stop let me know let me know know if Cincinnati's gonna block anyone on that Tennessee defensive line we'll see we'll see we'll see we'll see the nightcap, uh, Saturday night. San Francisco traveling to Green Bay. I'm sure it'll be beautiful. Yeah, now probably 65 and sunny in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But, Pete, it's interesting. I, I, I'd like Green Bay here. But, you know, <laughs> Devo Samuel, it, it, you know, because you think about this and the weather could be a factor. And for San Francisco, okay, so less we're going to ask Jimmy Garoppolo to do. More we ask of the running game, the defense, and Debo Samuel should be an interesting one. Yeah. Um, uh, look, it's in Green Bay. They have a better quarterback. Uh, they, you know, coaching, you can argue. I, you know, I, I think they're getting everybody back. Green Bay has had like four star players that haven't played for about 10 weeks that are slowly matriculating back into the locker room. 
It's yeah, crazy I mean, as good that, as they've been and the amount of players they haven't had. Yeah, Zadarius Smith, Jairi Alexander, David Bakhtiari, uh, whichever wide receiver is coming back. Uh, and they're playing against the modern-day Neil O'Donnell. I mean, and that's what it comes down to for me. And it's Neil O'Donnell who hasn't been able to practice this week um, in Jimmy Garoppolo, who, I mean, it, it, that's that's exactly what they are. They're a phenomenal team with that at quarterback, and it's limiting what they can do. Debo Samuel is fantastic. I'm curious to see how Green Bay deals with him. Um, but for all of that, and then you've got questions about, you know, Nick Bosa. I, I imagine Nick Bosa will play, but he hasn't practiced. You know, what are you going to get out of uh, Fred Warner with his ankle injury? Their corners are not good, despite what they did against Dallas. Devontae Adams is, should just crush them uh, on that front. Yeah, I've got Green Bay winning this one. Like this, I, I, I don't think it's going to be close. I think San Francisco maybe has some things that are working for him that can maybe make this a football game. Um, but it, I, I'll be stunned if the Green Bay Packers are not playing in the Super Bowl. I'll just leave it at that. The early 3 o'clock kickoff Sunday in Tampa Bay. And I think this game actually is interesting. I, I, I think there's there's something to this game and, and, and certainly a possibility uh, that there could be an upset. Tampa's only a two-and-a-half-point favorite. You always got to remember home team's going to get three. So, obviously, you know, odds makers are kind of in line with this one. Los Angeles Rams, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One of the things that I think maybe does scare you if you think the Rams have a shot here is Matthew Stafford in a game of this magnitude. Well, a lot's going to depend on the offensive line for the Bucs. Um, you know, Ryan Jensen and Tristan Wirfs both haven't been able to practice. I, you know, Jensen, I assume, will play. I imagine Wirfs is going to as well. It's just largely a question of how effectively they can. The problem you run into if you are the Los Angeles Rams against a team like the Bucks or the 49ers or anyone who has just been physical is how do you deal with that? And this may be the game where the Buccaneers just run the ball. They, you know, We'll see. I don't know what the status of uh, Fournette is, but they've got Giovanni Bernard. They've got what Deshaun Vaughn or whatever his name is. Uh, but it's that offensive line. Can you deal with Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, uh, these guys up front? And to this point, the Rams have never dealt with running running teams well. They are built to stop the passing game. Uh, you know, how much of this is going to be a lot of short passes? I don't know, but I expect to see Rob Gronkowski as a glorified lineman in this game and them just pound the rock. And the Buccaneers defensive line is going to get after Matthew Stafford uh, and cause some issues for them. Shaq Barrett is still phenomenal. And while I have questions about their corners, I think they can do enough to stop them. And I don't trust that the Rams are not going to give up the football and create their own issues. So I've got Tom Brady and the Bucs winning. Uh, I think this is probably going to be the tightest game of the weekend. We're getting a little short here on time. Um, I, I don't know. I'm going to go Rams to pull a rabbit out of their hat and to have Browns Twitter and Browns fans upset everywhere about what went down. Not a lot of time left here, but the nightcap Sunday night, 630 kickoff as we get ourselves acclimated to championship game time, Super Bowl kickoff. Pete, 
the Buffalo Bills traveling to Kansas City. And I, I don't think Kansas City can start solo like they did last week and expect this to go in their favor. But should be a good one, and this will be a matchup between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes that we're going to get used to. It, this is going to be something that's going to go on for years now. Yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs. They're at home, uh, and it comes down to it comes down to line play. Um, the Chiefs have a better offensive line, and they have a better pass rush with guys like Melvin Ingram, and they have Chris, Chris Jones, Jones. Who, who can just absolutely take over a football game. Um, Buffalo is great in a lot of areas, but I, I guess this comes down to who you trust more in this game. Maybe based off this season, it should be Josh Allen, but for some reason, I, I, I think Mahomes to Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill is a bigger problem against them than what the Bills have to offer. I, I, I'm as much as I think Buffalo can pull this off, I'm, de- I'm not ready to put pick that I think they can pull this off. Um, you know. Look, you know, Kansas City, it's it, it, it's been working. It's been working really, really well. And it's always been the thing where, you know, they kind of have to figure out who they are defensively. And then they just say, all right, this is what we are. We're not, you know, there's been times where it's we're not going to go traditional. We're not going to play a traditional defense. We're going to put our 11 best players on the field. We'll see the way the whole Willie Gay thing works out. He's a player, second-year player that's, you know, been a factor for them and getting better. Um We'll see. I mean, I, I'm not really sure. You know, broken vacuum cleaner or whatever it seems like the the, the issue is. Uh, you know, he plays certainly an advantage for them. I will take Kansas City. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. I think it'll be a back and forth affair. Um, but you know, for right now, for me, you know, if it's Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, I, I'm still going to go the Patrick Mahomes route. So we got to your Browns tight end review for 2021. Uh, we talked a little bit about the 21 draft class, where they are, where they are headed for your Browns, and certainly the four games on the slate in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Pete Smith was in for the ride from Sports Illustrated's Browns Digest. Uh, make sure you're checking all the coverage out over there. Pete and the team pumping out content day in, day out, doing a great job here. Uh, as we start to shift to the all-star game circuit, things of that nature, draft, free agency, all of that stuff. Um, make sure you're checking out Browns Digest on sportsillustrated.com. Make sure you're following at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Make sure you're checking out the podcast. For Pete's sake, if you didn't catch it this week, Brent Sobleski filled in for Nicole. And again, Nicole, everybody's thinking of you as you and your family are going through a little bit of a difficult time. Um, yep. Uh, heart thoughts with you and your family, Nicole, myself at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd show itself at lockdown Browns, follow back account. DMS are open. This has been your daily delivery of all things dog pound LGB on the yellow B let's go Browns.